just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope things are going well. Things have changed a lot around here in terms of weather. Remember I was telling you about the 45-degree day, the 51-degree day. Then we had these storms come through. As always, the weather people in our area were talking like it's Armageddon. Now, fortunately, for where I live, we were on the north end of the storm, and it wasn't really that big a deal. I know that further south, Iowa, Kansas, and such did have some serious problems, and I wish those folks the best in getting through that. It didn't sound like it was as bad as the first uh, set of tornadoes that went through Kentucky, Ohio, and Arkansas, and such. But we've gone from 51 degrees to what, like 21 degrees today. Uh, Dropped 30 degrees in a single day. Now, this is more like what you'd expect in Minnesota. And to be perfectly honest with you, if I'm between 25 and 30 degrees in Minnesota, I'm cool. I can live with that. It's when it gets to the sub-zero shit that it's almost impossible to live here. It's fucking ridiculous. You got to go out and worry about your car starting. Then you got to warm it up before you even get in it. (laughs) Then you got to go back and forth from the car or into the store or wherever it is you're going and freeze your ass off. It's almost uninhabitable un, uninhabitable here when it's minus zero, whether it be 10, 20, or 30. Then you got the wind chill that adds even more to it. It's not a good place to be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. And as I've said before, now that my wife works for an airline, we're going to be going out of town a little bit here and there to get away from the cold weather, but then come back because... We got our grandkids here. I'm not going to leave for two months and not see those two little knuckleheads. I want to be able to see them and hang out with them. So we can't move or spend any extended periods of time uh, in the warmer climes. But we can get away for two, three days or four days at a time and kind of thaw out and then come back. So I guess that's what we'll do. Now we're in the midst of a normal Minnesota winter day. 22 degrees, a little bit of snow on the ground. And uh, maybe some ice patches on the road, so you got to be careful. Anyway, there is a lot of stuff going on in terms of the news. Some interesting stuff. And none of it's really all that good for Republicans. So that means it's good for us. (laughs) Some people say to me, you seem to enjoy wallowing in other people's misery. And uh, I guess that's true, especially when it's Republicans or Trumplicans or any of those fucking people. Seeing them suffer is rather pleasurable to me. I know that's not Christian and that's not the appropriate thing to say. But when you've seen what they've done for four years to all these people and how they've called people snowflakes and told them to fuck your, (laughs) fuck your, uh, what was it, Uh, fuck your emotions or whatever it is. It's nice to see these people get it returned to them because sometimes you got to do that. You got to slap them in the mouth after they've slapped you in the mouth for years. And it's good to see some of it's coming back on them. Speaking of that, you'll remember that uh, Dominion voting machines filed several lawsuits, Mike Lindell, 
uh, Sidney Powell, some other people, but also Fox News. Yeah, they set out to sue Fox News for $1.6 billion. And why? Well, because they lied about Dominion voting machines on Fox News over and over and over again for months and months and months. None of what they said is true, which shouldn't be a surprise because not much of anything that's said on Fox News is true. It's just about hyping up Donald Trump and promoting the lies and the cheating of the Republican Party. So Dominion voting machines took exception to them lying about them on their own network and doing it over and over again. So the lawsuit was filed against Fox News, and Fox News went to court to get it dismissed because they don't think there's any standing to sue them. This lawsuit has no basis. (laughs) That's what they say. Well, unfortunately... Uh, Today, a court said, uh, yeah, it does have some basis, and you did some things that are questionable, and this lawsuit will proceed. Now, of course, Fox has a lot of of, uh, money, but everything Fox did is on video. So there'll be a lot of evidence that comes up, and they'll say, that's not anything. Then they'll play the video, and it'll be clearly a violation and clearly a lie about Dominion voting machines. And they're going to lose this case. Their only hope was try to get it dismissed in the early portions. And now that they failed there, they're going to have to go to court and they're going to have to defend this. And unfortunately, they have no defense because they flat out lied. And even when they knew it was a lie, they kept lying. So can you imagine if Dominion wins a court case against Fox News for $1.6 billion? That would essentially bankrupt Fox News. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. It'll be interesting to see uh, the individuals they're going after, Rudy Giuliani, um, Mike Lindell, Sidney Powell. I think all of them tried to uh, get their cases dismissed. They may have already been turned down, but if they hadn't, this, uh, this decision will certainly affect whether they get theirs dismissed. Nobody's getting anything dismissed. They're all going to court, and they're all going to lose. The only hope that they possibly have is that there's some settlement, because none of these people can afford, including Fox News, can afford a $1.6 billion bill. Certainly not Mike Lindell, certainly not Rudy Giuliani, certainly not Sidney Powell, especially since Powell and Giuliani have had their law license taken away. Um, Mike Lindell's wasted all his money on Donald Trump and these fucking stupid telethons and things like that. So he doesn't have much money left. They're not going to be able to afford this. The only hopes is that... uh, Even if they strike a deal, a reasonable deal, less than $1.6 billion, what are they going to settle for? Three quarters of a billion dollars? They don't have that either. But a lot of this is probably going to have to do with uh, maybe some public apologies. And we know how Republicans like public apologies. Now, if you want them to double down, they can nail that every fucking time. But to admit they're wrong to hang their head in shame. That's never going to happen. So if they win these court cases, this is going to pretty much tie up their financial uh, lives forever. 
much like what, what we saw with O.J. Simpson. Now, yeah, he can make a little money to survive, but he'll never make as much money as he really could. And Fox News is going to be hamstring for a long time. There's no way they can come up with $1.6 billion. This is all taking a long time. And I know people hate the fact that it takes a long time, but these court cases won't be dismissed. They will go to trial. These individuals and Fox News will end up losing, and they'll be on the hook for billions of dollars, literally, literally billions of dollars. Well, of course, we've got to talk about the select committee. Uh, The select committee told us about all these texts from uh, members of Congress to uh, uh, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of Donald Trump. Many of these Congress members were pleading with Mark Meadows to get Donald Trump to do something during the insurrection because they were scared. They knew the ramifications for the Republican Party after the fact. They were begging him to stand up and say something and stop it. Well, Donald Trump sat there and wallowed in the violence and the tragedy of this insurrection for 187 minutes. Three hours and seven minutes, Donald Trump didn't do jack shit. He did nothing. He didn't even try to help out. And then when he finally stepped up, it was too late. It was pretty much over. These people have gotten bored. I mean, these people had already contacted Mark Meadows in order to uh, contact Donald Trump and say, "Ah, what should we do now? which is ironic that the insurrectionists would go to the White House for direction. That tells us a lot about who was involved in this whole thing. Now, we found out about the one Jim Jordan wrote, but um, none of the others have been, um, been exposed as yet by the House Select Committee. And here's the funny thing. You know, all these Republicans are always so loud and proud. We're right. We're the smart ones. We're the patriots. But all these guys that have done these texts, and now these texts have been written, uh, read in public, it's funny. I mean, it's damn strange that none of them owned up to those texts. They didn't say a word. The only reason why Jim Jordan spoke out about his ridiculous text is because something leaked out, people knew, and all he could do was admit it and try to tone it down a little bit. But, of course, we know Jim Jordan sent a text that suggested uh, how and why the Republicans and Donald Trump could uh, mount a coup, which is really a troubling thing when a sitting members of Congress openly admits that he wrote a text in order to get people to overthrow the government. That's a little illegal. The 14th Amendment, well, maybe sedition, all of those are big problems. And Jim Jordan went from being just a loudmouth who was able to go below the wire or under the radar. Now he's in the spotlight. He's got an actual crime he can stand with. And I'm sure Jim Jordan's a little nervous. But the interesting thing is when this thing came out with Jim Jordan and these other texts came out, there's been a kind of hush all over the world. Remember that 
uh, Herman's Hermits <laughs> song, there's been a kind of hush because these loud and proud people of the Republican Party in Congress haven't been saying much. And the reason is they're fucking nervous. They're nervous because this stuff is going to be exposed. Now, there's a lot of information coming out of the Washington Post about people who they believe was involved in the entire insurrection. And, and as Benny Thompson, you know, Benny Thompson, the chairman of the House Select Committee, everybody keeps asking him, who are the Congress members that wrote these texts? And he won't tell right now because he's just trying to line them up or put the pressure on or whatever he's doing. There's definitely some strategy to it by not telling us as yet. But the Washington Post came out with people who apparently had um, had bombarded the DOJ with election fraud claims, also bombarded state legislators around the country about election fraud. These people have been very active, and they've been up front and open with it, so the DOJ knows about this. And those people, of course, include Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs, Paul Gozar, Louis Gohmert, Mo Brooks, and Scott Perry. Now, none of those are a surprise. They're all fucking Trumplifucks, and they're all crazy as shit, and they're all more than willing to lie to get their way. Now, that doesn't mean that's all of them. You know, there's Josh Hawley, who had some interest in whether they got phone information. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, who was out tipping the insurrection off as to where Nancy Pelosi was. You got them throwing out 1776 because apparently that's their battle charge. There's a lot of people that are going to fall in this. With just the information they got from the 6,000 documents that Mark Meadows put in or turned over, they've got enough to expose these people. Oh, and you throw in the fact that they've already deposed more than 300 people. You know, Mark Meadows doesn't want to testify. That's cool. He already gave them all the information they need. They've got 300 other people that told the same stories that Meadows will probably tell. Steve Bannon, who the fuck cares? Let him go to jail and rot for all we give a shit. Um, Jeffrey Clark from the Attorney General's office. Uh, he's going to plead the fifth. And uh, uh, he's going to end up being referred over to the DOJ. And also Roger Stone is supposed to testify today. Now, Roger Stone is, uh, is a guy that uh, has already been convicted. Donald Trump let him off with a pardon, and this guy's been a criminal since the 70s. He works side-by-side with Richard Nixon. Tricky Dick, remember him? Oh, he knew all the dirty tricks. And so Roger Stone learned from the best. And from that time up to this moment in time, Roger Stone has been known as a, uh, a practitioner of dirty tricks when it comes to campaigns. He'd done it a lot. He certainly did it with uh, Donald Trump. He's one of the reasons why Donald Trump got elected. Now, Roger Stone is an absolute piece of shit, and I've seen video of him being deposed, and it's pretty funny because it doesn't take much to rile him up. 
It doesn't take much for him to get excited and mad and want to walk out, claim the fifth, or whatever he's going to do. Well, he's supposed to show up on Saturday or Friday and uh, be deposed by the House Select Committee. Well, he's going to be mad going into this because, you know, that's the strategy these narcissists take. When they're in an argument or a debate and they know they've got a losing case, what they do is they get mad, they get hyped up, they make threats, they get real intense. And what their intention there is to be the bully, scare the other party into shutting up and shutting down. Well, unfortunately, when you're talking about Liz Cheney, Benny Thompson, Adam Kim Kinzinger, or some of the other people on this House Select Committee, well, they aren't going to be intimidated. They aren't going to back down. They're going to keep hammering this guy until he'll ultimately get up and walk out because he's frustrated, because he can't keep answering the Fifth Amendment. He'll do it. I mean, he'll do it as long as he stays there. But understand, just by pleading the Fifth doesn't get you off scot-free. If he pleads the fifth for everything, he will no doubtedly be referred to the Department of Justice for criminal contempt of Congress. And just like Steve Bannon and just like Mark Meadows, he'll go to court. He will lose because it's a very simple case. You know, a lot of times when court cases go to trial, you think, well, it's real complicated, complex. Maybe he'll get off. Maybe he won't. But here's what you have to understand about the cases for Mark Meadows, Roger Stone, Jeffrey Clark, and Steve Bannon. They're not being tried anything for anything regarding the insurrection. There's nothing real complex about it. The law they broke was very simple. The House Select Committee sends you a subpoena, and you are required by law to come and testify. But then you don't come to testify. So you've broken the law. That's it. That's the whole case right there. So you go to court and you say, were you subpoenaed, Mr. Stone? Yes, I was. Did you show up, Mr. Stone? Yes, I did. Did you answer the questions? No, I pleaded the fifth. Okay, you're guilty. Fucking go to jail. It's as simple as that. Mark Meadows not testifying at all. It's even more simple. Now, they talk about it being harder because he was... He was uh, the chief of staff for Donald Trump. They will say that uh, he has more basis to claim executive privilege. And theoretically, that's true because he was the chief of staff to Donald Trump. But the fact of the matter is we've already established that there is no executive privilege. Donald Trump has lost two cases. He's going to lose the third in the Supreme Court. Then there's no argument. There's none. We know that the only person that can assert um, executive privilege is a sitting president. That, of course, is Joe Biden, and he's refused to do that. So it's a pretty open and shut case. Once it gets to court, there's not much to argue. And if you're going to argue executive privilege, you don't have much standing since Donald Trump is losing two cases and going to be a third. So... It shouldn't be a hard trial. It shouldn't be a long trial. It should be open and shut on all these guys. And when they end up in jail, well, then uh, that will be good. That will uh, (laughs) 
will be excellent. The, uh, the House Select Committee in a week's time has gone from trying to expose corruption to Liz Cheney actually stipulating special statutes or specific statutes and significant criminal activity. Now, there's danger in, in prosecuting a president. It's never been done. And the danger in prosecuting a president is once you do that to the Republican Party, then the Democrats are going to get prosecuted. Every president that leaves office is going to get prosecuted just as a one-upsmanship or to own the other party. And that's why they're afraid to prosecute a president. They don't want this happening every time. But this is a much different situation. There's never been a president that's committed such egregious crimes. And while it's a danger to prosecuting them because of this back and forth we might see, it's a bigger danger to allow somebody in the presidential office to get away with these things. This sets a bad tone, a bad standard for the future. It basically says that if you're president, you can do virtually anything. Now, Merrick Garland's been very tentative and very cautious and slow about charging people and prosecuting people. The thing about it is, is that Merrick Garland is going to have a hard time not pushing the issue with Donald Trump and his administration. The crimes have been far too egregious far too dangerous for the future of this country. So he's got to do something. He can't just let it go like he might if it was, I don't know, say George W. Bush and he made some kind of presidential mistake or unethical behavior, just a small thing or just a medium thing. It's easy to let that go. But this is so obvious. And when we're talking about trying to overthrow our government, undercut our election. That is about as egregious as you can get. And Merrick Garland, whether he wants to or not, will have to do something. There will have to be indictments because they can't let that stand. Because you know what's going to happen. The other party's going to do it. And then the other party, the other other party, will do it in response. And then we'll have this constant shit show going on in our government. Not that we don't have it already, but it'll be far worse every term. It was as bad as it could be with Donald Trump, but once these less-than-ethical politicians realize they can get away with anything, don't you understand that they're going to try? Even somebody who appears to be more ethical, who happens to be in office, there are people around him. You'll make a mistake, and then you'll want to cover it up or ignore it or ignore subpoenas and all that sort of stuff. They can't afford to let that happen. As much as it's dangerous to prosecute a president, in this situation, a situation we've never seen before, it's far more dangerous just to let it go. So Merrick Garland will have to do something. He will have to address the issues. Now, what we've seen with these text messages is just the tip of the iceberg. 
There is more coming out, a lot more coming out. We know after January there's going to be some televised hearings in prime time. A lot of shit is going to come out then. More stuff will come out about the sitting members of Congress who encouraged the insurrection. Now, these people clearly could be charged with the 14th Amendment and be expelled from their position. Now, I named off six or seven Republicans, but there's maybe as many as 10 or 12 that may have been involved at the bare minimum. Can you imagine what this party will look like if they end up expelling eight or 10 members of Congress, all Republican? That's going to be a fucking mess. And that's a real possibility because things have changed. At first, it was about exposing the corruption. But now, as Liz Janey has pointed out, we're seeing true criminal acts. And those criminal acts have to be followed up with some kind of punishment if we hope to avoid this in the future. So this is going to be really interesting to watch. There's going to be a lot of shit going on, and it's going to get hot and heavy from after Christmas all the way to 2022. This is going to have a serious impact on the Republicans. Trust me on that. Anyway, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. So uh, on Thursday, Joe Biden said something that I find very disappointing, not only in the country, but disappointing in terms of Joe Biden as president. And I think, unfortunately, when you hear this story, people take the absolute negative response from it. I'm going to explain to you why you don't. Joe Biden said today that Build Back Better bill will not pass by Christmas. They'd been talking about this for a long time. We got to get it passed by Christmas. We got to get it passed by Christmas. Now he's saying it won't get done by the end of the year. And why? Well, because Joe Biden and Joe Manchin are meeting and negotiating, and it's going nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Now, Joe Manchin is the one person that's standing in the way of getting that Build Back Better bill passed. Joe's going to get some heat. But I'll tell you why they're going to wait till after January 1st. First of all, let me just say this. When they say that it's not going to pass this year, There's going to be a lot of people out there that say, oh, my God, see, I told you it was never going to happen and never get done. The Republicans will never let it get done. That's not true. That's just not true. You got to understand we're in the middle of December right now. We got Christmas coming up and we've got New Year's. During those time periods, the fucking Congress barely works. The Senate doesn't work. They're off two weeks here. They're off a week there. So... Even if they had some road to getting this finalized and ultimately voted on, there's just no fucking time to do it because these clowns take off so much time. I never understood that when you've got a country to run and there are some important issues, they'll say, well, we got our two, two-week break or one-month break. You guys are getting paid $180,000 a year. You can't work a full work week? You can't work a full work month? Fuck. But anyways, that's what's going to happen. Joe and Joe aren't coming together as yet. 
Now, this is a problem for Joe Biden. And the reason I say that is because, remember, Joe Biden talked the progressives into voting for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I'm glad it passed. It should have passed. But the progressives were concerned that uh, Joe Manchin and Cinema wouldn't pass the Build Back Better deal. So the progressives were saying, look, we're not voting for the bipartisan bill unless something is nailed down and guaranteed on the Build Back Better bill. Now, if the progressives hadn't voted for it, that infrastructure bill wouldn't have passed. And that would have pissed off some Republicans. That would have pissed off Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, because that's what they were going to hang their hats on in their next election. So anyway, the progressives were getting a lot of heat because they were holding tough with that. People were saying, oh, they aren't going to let the infrastructure bill just because they want what they want. Well, that's partially true, but the fact of the matter is they knew that Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, the Republicans weren't trustworthy. They were fucking gaming them. They wanted to get their guarantee, what they had already agreed upon with the Build Back Better bill. They wanted to get that done because they didn't trust them to come through with their promise. Who's going to believe a promise from a Republican or Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema, for that matter? They were worried that it wouldn't come through. They'd get what they'd want, then they'd tell them to fuck off. Well, there was no way to prove it. There was no way to guarantee it. And everybody knew they needed the infrastructure bill for the betterment of the country. So Joe Biden stepped in and said, look, to the progressives, trust me, I will get Joe Manchin to sign on this and we will get this done. You have to trust me. And, uh, of course, what are the progressives going to do? a Democratic president asking you for his trust, to trust him. And of course they did. But now here we are just a short time before Christmas, which was their deadline. And frankly, that's where they make mistakes. You don't keep setting deadlines because you look like you keep failing. You say you get it done when you get it done. And whenever it gets done, people are happy about it. But now that you've missed two and three deadlines, everybody thinks, oh, this is a mess. It will never happen. And that's just not true. It's going to happen. It has to happen. Joe Biden's whole legacy and reputation is hanging by a thread on this Build Back Better bill. This is a huge part of his uh, economic policy, and it needs to pass. And Joe Manchin, or Joe Manchin will bend eventually, just like Mitch McConnell bends, like I've told you before. It will get done. But then we've got this other situation that crops up that's just as important, if not more important. It's the voting rights bill. Now, the voting rights bill is going to protect this country from all these fucked up voter suppression laws in all these states like Texas and Florida and Georgia and all that. It's absolutely essential that it gets done. People around the country are saying that's the most important thing, and I don't disagree with them, because if our elections are fucked, then we might as well just pack it in where there's no place to go. Don't worry about big bills. you got to worry about if elections are fair and free. So now Joe Biden realizes at this point uh, he needs to get this thing passed, but he's got a problem, of course, because... Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema 
are thinking, well, maybe we don't want to vote for voting rights. Why? I don't fucking know. But even if they do want to vote for it, here's the problem. The problem is is that it has to be passed with the supermajority, with the filibuster. That means 60 votes. Now, if we get all 50 Democrats to vote for it and Kamala Harris to break a tie, if there is one, that's not enough. They need 10 votes from the Republican Party, and that's just not coming. So the only option is to uh, carve out or get rid of the filibuster. Now, we've always had a problem with that from the Democratic side of things because Joe Biden, Joe Manchin, and Kristen Sinema haven't liked the idea of carving out the filibuster. They think it's important to this country. And as I've said in a previous podcast, it's ironic because when it came to raising the debt ceiling, they had no problem to carve out the, uh, the filibuster and get that fucking thing done. But now when it comes to voting rights, they're saying, oh, that's, that's not bad. That's not good for the country. Oh, fuck you. Let's be perfectly honest with you. These people love to play games. They like to create the drama. They like to drag things out. The voting rights bill is a crucial thing to us. It's even more important than the Build Back Better bill at this point. We need them both. We will get them both. But on this voting rights bill, I guarantee you there'll be some carve out with the filibuster and it will get done. And then it will cause all these people with the voter suppression laws and the gerrymandering and shit like that. And that will screw up all their plans. And that's good. We need that. These voter suppression laws make it harder for people of color to vote. And the reason they do that is because Republicans are largely white old men. And they don't like the idea of black or brown people or Asian people coming in and voting. They're particularly concerned about becoming the minority because the uh, ratio between people of color and white is getting closer and closer every year. Within five to ten years, maybe shorter time, white people will be the minority. And people have said to me, aren't you worried about that? Aren't you worried about being the minority? Hell no, I'm not worried about being the minority because I don't treat people of color badly. To me, they're just people like me. They're nice people, I like them. If they're assholes, I don't like them. Color really doesn't come into play here. I mean, some of the people I hate the most are fucking white. So it really doesn't matter what the color is. So you have to wonder why the people who are really concerned about becoming the minority as white people, why they're so worried about it. Well, I might suggest maybe it's because of how you treated people of color. You've treated them badly. You've marginalized them. And now you're going to find them in a position to do the same to you. They won't, but you don't like being put in that position. You didn't treat these people well. You were racist or whatever you were. Sure, you don't like the idea of becoming the minority. Me, I don't care. I'm 61 years old. It's 2021. And uh, government's been largely controlled by white people. So how are we doing? <laughs> I'd be all for more women and more people of color in office. Uh, give them a shot because you've had a millennia to fix the things in this country and old white men just haven't been able to fucking pull it off. So I don't have a problem with becoming the minority as an old white man. 
I don't have a problem with people of color and women taking over more powerful positions in government because it's about time we had a change, and the fact of the matter is the way it's going, I'm not happy with it. So maybe a change is just what we need. Maybe a change is what's going to help fix this country. We can only hope so. And, and I, you know, frankly, I think it will. When I see somebody like AOC, it's funny with AOC, the Republicans hate AOC. But why do they hate her? I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, AOC represents a small part of Manhattan in New York. She doesn't have any more power than any other representative in the House, but they really hate her. And I'll tell you why they hate her. Well, first, she's a woman of color. Second, she's a woman. Thirdly, she's outspoken. Fourthly, she's probably smarter by a long shot than half these old fucking white men. And she's not afraid to stand up to them. They love to see the people of color and women be subservient or submissive to them because they're the big white guys. They deserve that. Well, AOC ain't playing that. Ilhan Omar isn't playing that. Talib and these other, what do they call them, the squad? None of them are taking any shit from anybody. And they're putting it back in their faces, and they don't like that. So immediately they try to demonize them, turn them out to be terrorists or whatever. But the funny thing is, the only terrorists we're seeing, the only treasonists we're seeing, are from the Republicans, old white guys. In some cases, some younger white women. They don't like AOC. They don't like Tlaib. They don't like Ilhan Omar. These women have no more power than they do. But you know what? Their time is coming. And that's what they're afraid of. When they lose being the minority in this country, people like AOC are going to be senators. Tlaib may be a senator. Maybe a president. Then this world is going to go to pot. I'll be fucking perfectly honest with you. I'm not a far right or far left liberal, the progressive. I'm kind of more toward the middle. But here's the deal. We have been so far right for so long. Maybe we need some kind of correction like that. Flip it all the way to the left. You know, it's like you're driving down the road on the ice. Now, if you don't live in an area that has snow, you don't know what I'm talking about. But you're driving driving away down the roadway. Your car starts to slide to the right. So you overcorrect to the left, and then you overcorrect to the right, and you're kind of weaving back and forth until you find that midpoint. You get there, but it takes a little work to get there. And to be perfectly honest with you, if you swerve to the right and just try to get back to the center, it may not be enough to correct the momentum. And I see that kind of in our politics. Maybe after being so far right and having them in control, maybe we need to weave way left in order to ultimately get it back in the center, because that's really the sweet spot for this country. That's the only way we get into a situation where we can negotiate and compromise. Because right now, this country is so far apart. you got the far left, the far right. No way these people are going to see eye to eye under any circumstance. And that's why we're in the problems we are now. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, and the white guys will be freaking the fuck out. No question about it. Now, I wanted to talk about one other thing with Biden. 
he's been talking pretty somberly about this winter with COVID, Delta, and now Omicron. We've been going at this going on three years with COVID. Can you fucking believe that? I mean, when COVID first came out and they said, you're going to have to stay indoors for a little bit, wear a mask, I honestly thought two weeks, maybe a month, it'll burn out, it'll be fine. If you had told me what we would have gone through prior to going through it, I don't know what the fuck I would have done. I would have gone crazy. Knowing all the stuff that we were going to have to deal with ahead of time, that would have been too much. Well, we went through it. We, we dealt with it. We didn't like it, but we really had no choice in the matter. Now Joe Biden's kind of concerned about what this winter is going to bring. We know the winter months is the hot spot or the hot period for COVID or viruses in general. Everybody's worried about the Omicron, and as well they should. Now, Delta is still the dominant virus in this country, and it's killing tons of people. But Omicron, while some people are saying it's milder than Delta, it's way more infectious. More people are going to get it. I mean, by 10 times as many people. Now, this is largely a concern of those people that are unvaccinated. That's where it's going to sweep through. There will be some breakthrough ones, but it's really not going to affect those of us that are vaccinated. But here's the important thing to know. At one point, the, uh, the, 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 the idea was that we had to be vaccinated with the two shots. Now it's come to the point where it's almost essential to have that booster shot. What they're finding out about uh, the Omicron virus is that with the two shots, you do all right. You might catch it. You probably won't get sick. But with the booster, it has a far more effectiveness on the Omicron. So that booster is essential. They're even talking about making a booster mandate. Now, not as many people have gotten the booster. They think they're safe with the two shots or the one shot uh, J&J. And you're probably all right. But if you took the two shots or the one shot with J&J, you might as well take the, the booster. I've had the two shots of Moderna and the Moderna booster. Didn't hurt me a bit. No side effects, no problems. And you know what? I haven't had COVID either. And thank God for that because I'm an old guy. I got some underlying problems with type 2 diabetes. That's about it. But... I've also got grandkids I don't want to pass it on to, so I'm going to take every bit of precaution that I can in order to not get it. But this winter, when things get cold and rough out there, we might see a surge of the virus again. And this time it may be Omicron or Omicron. And this stuff spreads faster. We're still waiting to get some information about um, all the effectiveness with vaccines and, 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 and how deadly it is. Um, but we're getting bits and pieces. And again, it says with the booster, you're very well protected against Omicron. We're also hearing that it may not be as, as uh, intense as Delta, but we don't know that absolutely for sure. We're waiting for that study to come back. And frankly, that should be coming out in the next week or two at the maximum. So that will help us understand what we're getting into in the winter months. 
but the real problem is those folks that aren't vaccinated, those folks that uh, decide uh, we don't want to do it. Because this stuff is going to race through them so fast, and it's going to kill a lot of people. How do I know? Well, it's already killed over 800,000 people. Those people that aren't vaccinated will almost certainly get the Omicron virus if they haven't got one of the others already. They're going to get sick. There will be people who have to go to a hospital. And then there will be people that die. And still, these people will believe the vaccination isn't worth it. So Joe's getting a little nervous about this. And he's nervous about it for a couple of reasons. Not only because... um, the effects on people, because again, Joe uh, isn't the president of just the people in the blue states. He's the president of all the country and all the people. So he's concerned with all the people. That's why he went down to Kentucky, a highly red state. He went down there to see what these folks are going through and doing what he can to help. Now, he's uh, he's committed to pay 100% of all cost for what happened in Kentucky. Now somebody, people love correcting you when you're on the radio or on TV or even in a podcast or on TikTok. (laughs) And they said, yeah, but he only said 30 days. Yes, he only said 30 days. But there's going to be a lot of money pouring in in those first 30 days. And I'll be perfectly blunt with you here. If it comes down to after 30 days and that's still not enough, I guarantee you Joe Biden will come up with more. He's not going to leave people hanging in Kentucky, Ohio, and Arkansas like Donald Trump did in Puerto Rico. That's not going to happen. Joe Biden, the Democrats will do what they need to do to take care of the people in Kentucky. And the biggest expenditure is going to be in the first 30 days, rebuilding things, covering problems, bringing in food and water and those sorts of things. So don't try to diminish what Joe Biden's doing. He's doing way more than Donald Trump ever even considered for fucking anybody. He's doing more than Rand Paul wanted to do for any other region that went through a natural disaster. So don't try to shame me and say, you didn't say it was only 30 days. Fuck you. He's doing a lot. And he'll do as much as he has to to get it taken care of. Now, we had an interesting thing. Um... A gentleman by the name of Paul Waldron was subpoenaed by the House Select Committee. He is a former Army colonel. And he's the knucklehead that created, that drafted, that authored this 36-page PowerPoint presentation, laying out step-by-step how the Democrats would overthrow this government. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? An Army colonel? set up a PowerPoint plan (laughs) to overthrow the government. Now, I'm not as technically inclined as I once was. I'm not in the mix in business anymore. But isn't PowerPoint now kind of an outdated way of doing things? There's got to be better ways to do that. Anyway, this is an old guy, old white guy. And he's the one that wrote the blueprint to overthrow the country. So now he's been subpoenaed by the House Select Committee. And the interesting thing is that PowerPoint plan was in the hands of Mark Meadows, chief of staff to Donald Trump, and was also part of that tranche of 6,000 documents 
that he turned over to the House Select Committee. Oh, they're going to have a lot to talk about this clown about, where he got his information. Who was he doing it for? Well, he turned it over to Mike Meadows, Mark Meadows, so it's got to be the fucking White House, right? Got to be the White House. will be interesting to see if he shows up and if he shows up, if he pleads the fifth. But if he does that, if he doesn't show, over to the DOJ he goes and he'll be no problem to uh, prosecute. If he pleads the fifth on everything, same thing, over to the DOJ. This is some nobody out of nowhere. They won't give a fuck about indicting, charging, and trying and convicting a fucking knucklehead like this. This is a former member of the Army that was writing up a document as a blueprint to overthrow his own country. This dude has a lot of fucking problems because that's not going to go over well with the Army and it's not going to go over well with the U.S. government on the Democratic side because that is sedition, if not treason. I I don't, you know, I'll look it up at some point. There is a difference between the two and I don't know exactly what it is. Um... Well, actually, treason is about giving comfort uh, to to the enemy, but also working against the country. So it would fall in that treason thing. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But anyway, he has been subpoenaed. Now, keep in mind, the House Select Committee has already talked to 300 people. They're exposing texts from the 6,000 documents that Mark Meadows has handed over. For all you people that say, oh, nothing's going on, there's a lot of shit going on. And it's just starting to roll right now. It's going to be like a snowball. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and messier. So be prepared. Between now and 2022, there is going to be a shit show on the Hill, and the Republicans are going to be paying a heavy price. All right, let's wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me today. Send your questions, comments, or complaints to rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm. Leave a voicemail where Rational Boomer is located there. And uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. So just stay warm, stay safe, and stay right here with us on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.